Welcome to My Life Chassidus Applied, episode 266, a special Gimel Tammuz edition. Next Shabbos will be the 25th year since Gimel Tammuz. We don't even have a full way of expressing it, so we just call it Gimel Tammuz. So this program will be focused almost exclusively on that theme, being that it's so central in the life of Chassidim, the life of Jews, and I would even say in the life of the human race in general. Obviously, we'll be talking also about this week, which is just the next day. It will be Chofches Sivan, the day that the Rebbe came and the Rebbetzin came to America, as well as also Parshas Kairach in the diaspora. Israel is one week ahead of us until later this uh, month. Or that later the Matis Masa actually a few more over more than a month. So let's begin with Gimel Thomas. This program is dedicated in honor of the marriage of Ellie and Druze and Hannah Jacobson on the twenty second of Sivan this year five seven seven nine. So what is there to say? Someone came over to me the other day and said, "So what are your thoughts, feelings, ideas about twenty fifth anniversary of Gimel Thomas?" And frankly, it touched me the wrong way, it rubbed me the wrong way, the question, so I let him have it. Not in any way, in any aggressive way, and not in any, hopefully, not hurtful way. And I said to him, what do you want? You want to have some gematria? You want to have some connection to the Parsha? In my view, it's very simple. 25 years passed since that uh, sad day. The question is, are we going to get off out of our comfort zones and do something different? Because insanity is doing the same thing and expecting different results. The Rebbe gave us a mission, a mission that began, the truth is, from the beginning of time. When God created the world, the mission is to make a dira b'tachtenim and basilagani achesikala, to return the Shekhinah down to earth and turn this world into the world of Geula, where the divine is the reality and the material world is simply a stepping stone to a divine expression. Or as the expression goes, dira b'tachtenim, a divine home, a home, for the divine in this physical world. Each generation, from the beginning of time, continue this work toward this process. Fast forward, in the year 2448, the Hebrew year, was Matan Teirah, which fused heaven and earth. It gave the power to ultimately transform existence itself. And then again, every year, every generation, every century, every millennia, continued the work, accumulating, accumulating energy, Divine energy, every mitzvah done, every mitzvah nefesh, every sacrifice, every commitment, all contributing to the building blocks of what would be called geula. Because in Judaism, geula isn't just an event, it's a process. It's the end of a process. And then came the Gilead of Panimia Satera, starting from the Rajbi, and then later the Arizal, mitzvah legal, to reveal this wisdom, this inner wisdom, which is the Tera of Mashiach, not just the external Tera, so to speak, the Tera that deals with law that deals with the mechanics of Judaism, so to speak, but also the inner dynamics, the effects on the cosmos, the effects on us, all the higher worlds, and all the yechudim, all the unifications and connections made through our actions on this earth. And that continued to accelerate as well. The Baal Shem Tov came and taught, started teaching Chassidus. 
He asked Mashiach, when will you come? He said, when your wellsprings will spread. And then began the generations of Chassidus Chabad, after the Magid, Chassidus Chabad, and the Rebbe, the seventh generation, all in a chain, an unbroken chain, back to Moshe Rabbeinu, all the way back to Adam and Chava. And as the Rebbe said, the first Maim Rabbos Ligani, Tavshin Yudalaf, in 1951, that this is the generation, just like Moshe is the seventh, that would bring the Shekhinah, that brought the Shekhinah, Veshachanti Besechim, in the building of the sanctuary, that took the physical world, gold, silver, copper, and all the materials used in the sanctuary, and made it a home, a dwelling place for God, on a temporary basis, and later on a more permanent basis in the holy temples, but those were destroyed. Now the seventh generation from the Alter Rebbe will finish the process and bring the Geul of Veshachanti Besechim in a permanent way with the building of the rebuilding of the, or the building of the third base Amigdash, and the coming of Mashiach and Gula, that the entire world will once and for all be a divine home. Not just on a temporary basis, not just in a revealed way, not just building blocks, but actually the eruption of all those accumulated energies and building blocks that build the actual structure called Gula. In the Rebbe's leadership itself, beginning in 1950 and then 51 and 52 and all the years that followed, that also continued to accelerate. And if you study the Rebbe's work, you see like concentric circles a strategic plan of spreading Judaism and spreading godliness and spreading tzaddik and yeshir, menschlichkeit, kindness, goodness, virtue, justice, the laws that are the basis of all human civilization, that that was all done in a very strategic way, step by step by step, laying the building, laying the groundwork and uh, all the necessary components that ultimately, as much as possible, we can do from the bottom up, to set the stage for the Geula. And then came in the late, in the, mid, in the 80s, the strong talks about Sheva Mitzvah B'Neich, these seven universal laws and moral laws and moral code given to us by God at Sinai for the entire world, leading to the end of the 80s, the accelerated conversation, the amplification of the idea of Geula and Mashiach. So it's all a strategic plan from the beginning of time, we all wished it could have happened earlier, and then of course the famous Sichas of the Rebbe, Purim Tavshem Emzayim, and then, I've done everything I can, now I give it in your hands. And 11 months to the day of Chav Chesnissen was the stroke, Chav Zayin's other Tavshinun Beis. And then two years and some months later came Gimel Tamas. And now we're 25 years later. So just connect the dots. What does that mean? That our job is not finished. Had we finished the job, perhaps the whole Gimel Thomas didn't have to happen. Chavzayin Oda didn't have to happen. Now, it's not a punishment. It's the Rebbe gave us clear instructions. Whatever reason, whether we understand it or not, and we've discussed the explanations for it, there is something that we must do from the bottom up, that, so to speak, the Rebbe himself gave us everything we need, we need but there's something we need to do. So if someone asked me 25 years, I say to myself very simple, Lahavdil if we were having a shareholders meeting and we have to present to the boss, what did you do in 25 years? Tell us the progress you did. So there's a lot that people did. Many Chabad houses have been established. Jews of all walks of life, and not just Chabad, continue to build Yiddishkeit, Torah Mitzvahs, Mezis, organizations, Chesed, Zdokeh. Much can be done. Much can be said about what was accomplished. But we always have to look at what was not accomplished. And what was not accomplished is a critical mass of the world has not been infiltrated in a revealed way that they should recognize and they should embrace this new higher state of consciousness 
That is Gula consciousness. That which God has to do comes from above. The instructions that are Mashiach to come and rebuild the base of Migdash, gathering all the exiles, Kibbutz Goliath, Kabbutz Nitchi Yisrael, from all corners of the world. Everybody should go to Israel. And other things that can only be done at direct mandate, direct instructions from above. But that which we have to do below, which is open our eyes, I'm using the Rebbe's words, recognize, recognize the signs that the world and the stage is ready. This doesn't mean there isn't pockets and that there, isn't pro- there aren't problems. It means, however, that we have to lift ourselves up to a higher state of consciousness to recognize that the battle between good and evil is over. That doesn't mean there isn't evil, that doesn't mean there isn't temptation, but the battle, there's no force of evil, as we've talked about as well many times in this, uh, this program. We're still, in a way, in a goalless mentality, as they call it, which means that we still believe materialism, selfishness, self-absorption and self-interest controls the universe. Now, many people's lives it does. But is it a force or is it a, or is it, or is it a creature of, are we creatures of habit? And when the Rebbe says we're creatures of habit, then we have to wake ourselves up to become aware that we are better than that and that we can do good and kindness. And we've seen the world has changed in so many different ways, including the technological revolutions and the political changes and the freedoms that we experience today. Things are unprecedented. All letting us know that the stage is set. It's now up to us to create that ripple effect, starting from our own personal lives, in recognizing it and living a Gu'uladika life, which means, simply put, that your material life is a means to a spiritual lens, that everything you do should be seen with a lens. How will this make the world a better place? How will this make my life and other people's lives more transcendent, more selfless? How do I become more of a giver and less of a taker? And that's in our power. So you ask me 25 years, it's very simple. We have to do what we haven't done till now. And that calls, that's called a qualitative shift, a paradigm shift, not just more of the same. Obviously, everything good that has been done should be continued. That's not a question. Obviously, we should increase in everything we do, whether it's study, whether it's prayer, whether it's good deeds, the three pillars upon which the world stands, the personal world and the collective world. But some shift, some shift is what's required. That's how change happens. And a shift means to get out of your comfort zone for those of us that are capable to do something new and creative. Not now, we don't need new mitzvahs, we don't need a new Torah, God forbid. But we need new initiatives of taking that Torah mitzvahs and bringing it to wider audiences, even to the most secular audiences. Everybody has to look into their own hearts and souls and see what is your skills and what you can do differently and better and who you can hook up with it doesn't have to be alone sometimes it's a few people joining together maybe it's two people people bring different strengths what is not forgivable is to sit quietly and say what's going to happen that's not acceptable that's not how we were trained we must all be proactive and find a way to initiate you yourself don't feel you can do it all so go and go to somebody you know that you feel confident can do and say i want to join you let me push it along everybody has something they can contribute in this regard. So, of course, people say, what can I do? Look, we just saw what happened in Poway, a tragedy that a chassid, a shliach, turned it into a voice that's reached hundreds of millions of people with a message of what? Of goodness and kindness, a moment of silence, of perhaps looking at how we're educating our children. We can't each of us do something like that in our own sphere of influence, in our own workplace. 
So that's on a global scale. But then we could do it on a local scale. So 25 years of Gimel Thomas, yes, you could sit and bemoan the fact, 25 years, look how many years have passed. And it is sad. I was an adult, as many of you were. Some listening to this were, never, were not even born yet. So we know what happened then. And it's sad when you think of power and a relentless force of good and light that really was formidable and created formidable forces in all of us, even in people who are mediocre, to become passionate agents of change, in a sense was quieted, was silenced, as we'll talk a bit later, like the sun that was silenced on Gimel Tammuz. So of course it's sad. Of course it can bring you to a few tears or more. But that's not what we were taught to do. We have to focus and take that energy of that tears, the energy of that energy of that grief and loss, and turn it into a positive force. That's what that same Rebbe taught us. So we talk about 25 years of Gimel Thomas, you can talk about, oh, 25 years, look what we lost, what, what will happen, and so on. But that's not the language, at least, that I heard from the Rebbe. And the language was, take that and do something with it. One action is better than 1,000 krechzen, anochis. One action is better than 1,000 sighs and complaints. And that's what Gimel Thomas has to awaken in us. Yes, let, let, let us, each of us say, Ad Mose, till when? But not turn that only into a cry and say, what, what do we do? We raise up our hands. The Friedrich Rebbe once said, then the end of Mesech to say to you have all this simonim, the signs of what will be when, the days before Mashiach, Ikvis and Mashiach, negative signs. Chutzpah and other things that he describes there. They're not positive. And then the Gemara concludes, And there's no one, there'll be no one to rely on but God himself which everyone takes to mean that after saying all these negative signs that will be in the end of days, the Gemara wants to console us and say, it's going to be bad, but we will have no one to rely on but God himself. Because we ourselves are incapable. Says the Fritik but that's also one of the simonim of Ikvus and Meshich. That told us a sign, but we'll say, we'll throw up our hands in the air and say, we have no one to rely on but God himself, and we have no, no, no ability. That too is part of the problem. That we do have stability. We stand on the shoulders of giants. We don't stand alone. We're bound above, which doesn't allow us to fall below. And if anything, Gimel Thomas has to strengthen that connection and his kashas, because today we can't just rely on the giluim and the revelations of just coming or bringing someone to the Rebbe himself. And the Rebbe's light, let the Rebbe's light do its magic, so to speak, do its power. Today we have to initiate it through the teachings and the directives and the passion, and the drive, and the excitement, and the vitality that we gathered all those years. And those that weren't there together can gather it from the teachings, because when you study and you learn them and you internalize them, they are truly revolutionary and exciting with the capacity to be proactive, to change the world, a true spiritual revolution. What greater gift is there? What greater blessing is there to be part of such a movement? And it's not a Chabad movement, I should add. Friedrich Alter Rebbe said that Chabad is not a maflega. It means it's not a party. It's not, for, it's not a group. It's for every person on earth. For every Jew of all walks of life, of all denominations, and it is for all human beings on this earth because all are players and participants and the, with controlling the destiny of this unfolding drama called Geula, as I mentioned before, every good deed is a building block. In the words of the Alter Rebbe in chapter 37 in Tanya, right in the beginning, since Mashiach, the revelation of Mashiach is what? 
is Gilei Alekus, is the divine revelation, meaning the divine purpose, that we recognize the purpose of everything in creation. So then how is that achieved? Through Mayadei, Masenu Bavadesenu. Because you're revealing the divine in everything, so we achieve that, Schar Mitzvah Mitzvah, that we do it by doing that, when we take an object in our lives, an experience, an interaction, an encounter, and we turn it into something that's more than just for my own needs, into something divine, some higher purpose comes out of it, something transcendent, you are building a small building block. And accumulatively, that's Geula Mashiach. In addition, what it says in Sfarim, that each of us has the spark of Mashiach within us, which only, which only emphasizes even more powerfully this message. That's the lesson of 25 years. I'm sure there's much more to be said, and many people have different ways of, of um, expressing it, and there'll be fabrengens, but I think it all has to come down to action. And the action is that the Rebbe left us with something. He left us with a, he charged us with a, with a calling. There's unfinished business, basically. And those are the words of Chav Chesnes, and do whatever you can to bring the Gula. Do whatever you can, meaning things that we are in our capacity through the spreading of Teirah and Mitzvahs and of the wellsprings of Chassidus to the larger world. In my own personal experience, I can tell you proof of concept on a very small scale. My book, Toward a Meaningful Life, and other works I've done, I've seen it with my own eyes, that when you present properly in a universal fashion, in a language that is palatable and is relevant and personally empowering to people, they respond. So I know it's doable. I've seen it. It's a matter of scaling it now in a form of Yafutsu, which is distribution, wide distribution and dissemination, which today is also easily done. We have all the pipelines laid out. We don't have to spend billions of dollars to reach millions and millions of people. You have the internet. You have technology. Everything now is available right here, right now. Any piece of information without any, without any distance of space or time that separates us. So we also have those pipelines. And that's the work we need to do. So Gimel Tam is 25 years. The questions now, a few questions that came around regarding this. And before I go there, I want to do some cross-referencing. Because this is the 266th episode. And I see even this program as an outgrowth of one of the efforts, I hope, that contribute to this ability to take Siddhis and apply it to life. And hence, my life, Siddhis Applied, taking your questions, Questions that come from the grassroots, from all of us. Issues we struggle with of all matters. Personal, psychological, emotional, communal, religious. And looking deeper into Torah, deeper into Chassidus, and how can we find an answer there that relates to us. Because if we can find answers to all our issues, that itself is what a Geula looks like. A world that turns for answers to the right place, to the blueprint of creation, which the architect, the cosmic architect himself, composed in creating this universe. So we have, so we have an entire website called chassidusapply.com. That's a new website. It used to all be on our meaningfullife.com website, but now we've re, we have separate, split brands, basically. And here's a full-focused website that focuses on applying chassidus to life, chassidusapply.com. And there you can find all the archives of previous episodes and the YouTube version of the desktop or a laptop you can also, they're all time-stamped, which means you can find the exact subject you're looking for. We've literally dealt with thousands of topics, which we're in the process of indexing and hopefully making available so it's easier to find. But you can do searches and pretty much find anything you're looking for. So I've talked, of course, about Gimel Tammuz, 
This program is now in its sixth year. So you can imagine the last six years we've talked about this topic many times. So I want to just give you many cross-references here. You, more than usual, just showing you how much we've discussed the topic. Episodes 7, 19, and 20, 22 through 24, 67, 71, 72, 121, 168, 216, 218, and 240, which was actually an essay, because we also began five years ago running an essay contest, an annual essay contest applying this to life, were done by people from all over the world, and each year we announce the winners, and we're now in the fifth year of that contest. At the end of the episode, we always talk about the three Latin, uh, winning essays, latest essays, and we'll talk about that later. So here's a few questions that are related to Gimel Thomas that came in recently, also over time. Please submit your questions as well. You have there their capacity completely anonymously. There's no way for us to trace it. Any question you like, nothing is off limits, nothing is taboo. And we'll address it hopefully as soon as possible. There is a backlog of questions, but we're getting to them all. This is a Gimel Thomas special edition, so we're focusing on things around Gimel Thomas, the Rebbe, and Chassidus, and what now, and so on. But I can't talk about everything in one hour, so that's why the cross-referencing is so important, because there are many themes I have discussed in previous years. So here we are. Hi, Rabbi Jacobson. With Gimel Thomas fast approaching, and especially this year being the 25th Halula, our Gagwim strong feelings toward the Rebbe, Gagwim is like yearnings toward the Rebbe, grow ever stronger at this time of year. What I want to speak to you today is as follows. In the Chabad community, at least, since Gimel Tammuz, are very good at making hachonis, which is preparations for that day. And then before and on Gimel Tammuz, there will be big events, and Fabrengans will be organized, and of course, it will be heartfelt and emotional, with palpable yearnings for the Hizgalus of the Rebbe. However, the day after Gimel Tammuz, it's all over, everyone will go back home and return to their daily activities. So the question is, how do we retain the Yisraelis, which is the awakening, inspiration from Gimel Tammuz into our daily life following Gimel Tammuz? The answer, I think, is as follows. We see by the Rebbe in Shnas Hashivim, Shnas Hashivim means the 70th year when the Rebbe was 70, talking about 1972, there was a tremendous Yisraelis by Chassidim, awakening by Chassidim, However, the Rebbe channeled that energy for an increase in activities when the Rebbe requested that until the next 11th of Nisan, 71 new Torah organizations should be inaugurated. So I would like to suggest here some things we can do as a community in addition to everyone's resolutions in their own lives. Number one, making new shiurim and especially in the Rebbe's Maimorim, sichis, shimis, shuvis, etc., and even in Nigla, in the Alter Rebbe Shulchan Aruch, in Gemara, in Yankov, Medesh Rabbah, etc. Number two, perhaps a Chavrusa program, that's a partnership program of learning together, can be organized between Shluchim and Anash, former classmates. Shluchim are those that the Rebbe, emissaries the Rebbe sent out. Anash, he's referring to most likely people who didn't actually go on a formal Shlichus. Once a week, they should make Chavrusas over the phone or by Skype. Number three, to get Anash. Anash is a name is an acronym for Anshe Shlemenu, referring to the community. To, be, to get Anash to be more involved in Mivtsoyim, the campaigns of the Rebbe, by creating a venue for them to do outreach. Number four, last but not least, every chassid has to know that he is a shliach of the Rebbe, and he has to think of ways to do the shlichus. Thanks. I hope you can read this before Gimel Tamas, and we should be zeche, merit. So this Galus of the Rebbe already before this Gimel Thomas 5779. 
Okay, so thank you very much for that letter. Yes, I have read it. And I want to take it even further than what you've discussed. Your suggestions are excellent, but there's one thing that's missing. Everything you suggested could have been done 50 years ago and 100 years ago as well, even under other Rabbein. We have an added dimension, an added, not instead of, an added dimension of a compelling sense of urgency to cross the finish line, to do something in a new qualitative level. So, of course, everything you said is, it not only makes sense, is a necessity to make sure Gimel Thomas doesn't just come and go. It's not just a day. It's a day that inspiration should be a pa'ulan imsheches. Things that we resolve should have perpetual action and perpetual impact. But I would add in the Geula aspect, the Rebbe Sichis, Chayesara Tavshinun Beis, and so many others, that we have finished the Birurim, which means the work in the past. And now we have a new element that's necessary, which is actually revealing in our own consciousness, in our own minds, in our own psyches, our own awareness, and in everyone we can reach, that it's more than just doing a mitzvah, but the mitzvahs all accumulate and add up to a world of geula, both personal and global redemption. A life that we're not just continuing and saying, okay, we're going to have another day, God forbid, in Golis, another year in Golis, which means what? Golis, you could be very comfortable, you could be doing all the mitzvahs, but the divine is not the center of the universe. Self, self-interest is the center. So Geula is a life where Aleph, the Aleph is of Geula, is placed into the Geula, making the word Geula. So we take the same world that we have, but we focus on the Bechol Drachechodeo, seeing in everything the divine, how it's a lesson, how it's a message. And this is something that each of us can do. I've talked about this the last few weeks as well, different examples for it. And we put our heads together and figure out ways to take it to, the, to another qualitative level, not just quantitative. Okay, another question related to this. Chabad Rebbeim being Nasi Hadar. Is it not a bit narcissistic of us and self-serving of us Labavish to say that all Rabbeim, all our Rabbeim were the Nasi Hadar, which means the leader of the generation, with the Neshama of Meshe Rabbeinu, the Neshama of Moses. I know, it, I know if I ever said this over to any of my Litvish friends, they would laugh at me and ask about all the Gdeli Hadar over the past 200 years all the great leaders over the past 200 years. Okay. I discussed this topic in a bunch of episodes earlier, specifically episode 175, but let me just say the following. On a very political level, if you wish, which is not something we address at all, but I'm just mentioning it, it could sound that way. It could sound like, you know, listen, here's a group of Jews called Chabad Chassidim, and they feel their Rebbe is the center of it all, and uh, it's, it's not uncommon. Everybody thinks that their leader is the greatest leader. But when you talk from a Torah point of view, and we're talking Torah here because the Rebbe used that expression. And yes, we're talking about Moshe Rabbeinu as the Nasi Hadar in his time. And each generation, there was one Nasi Hadar in the language of the Tikkun There's an extension of Moshe in each generation, meaning there's a Moshe in each generation. In the times of the Shahs, there was the Av Bezdin, there was the Nasi Yisrael, there was the Av Bezdin, there was a Melech. Not getting into the distinctions. But there were individuals. One, one Kayin Godl, one Melech, one Nasi, one Moshe Rabbeinu. I, there was, each tribe had a Nasi too. We learned a few weeks ago that we read in the Parsha, each, the Nasi of Ruven and, and the Nasi of Yehuda, the Nasi of Ruven, the Nasi of each tribe brought offerings in the temple. How is that a contradiction? How, 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 and what about there's a Nasi Hadar? Is the expression goes, like when the Eden went out of the Jews, left Mitzrayim, they, 
and we came to Kriyas Yamsuf, it said that the sea parted 12 different channels, 12 different paths. Each tribe, each Nasi, led his tribe through that path. Why? Because not a Nado Pashta's expression, each river branches out, each one according to his way, because of the diversity of a nation, including the Jewish people. So the diversity, each one has a certain particular path. Yisachar, for example, were scholars. Zvulun were business people. They made a partnership. And each tribe had its particular role. Yehuda were the leaders. Levi were the servants. The Kahanim and Levim that served in the temple. And each tribe has its role. So each tribe has its nasi. And then there's the Shad HaKelel, which is the central gate. That Moshe Rabbeinu is the leader of all leaders, essentially the Mamutsa Machaber, this transparent interface between the divine and the people. Now we Jews don't believe in interfaces or intermediaries. That's why I said transparent. I'm a chaber. Not because he is something, because he's invisible. His egolessness and his lack of subjectivity allows him to be completely invisible and being a complete role model, an example of what it means to be a godly person. So Moshe Rabbeinu is the general nasi, and that does not take away from the strength and the power of each leader in its community. Now he'll say, how do we know that our generation is the Chabad Rabbeim? Well, when you talk about the central vision of Yiddishkeit, there was no, there's, every community has its leader that taught its community, its students, this path of that community, whether it was this Geza, this the dynasty, or that dynasty, each one had their path. But when you look at the teachings of Chassidus, what you see is not just specifics. Like I said before, the Alter Rebbe said, Chassidus Chabad is not a maflega. Because it's not a particular path. It's a vision for all Jews. Not just a certain type of Jews. It's a vision not just for all Jews, but for the entire world. So by definition, that, that message is a universal one. And therefore, I'm a Sihadar type. Now, of course, it sounds self-serving, but that's why I would suggest, don't accept it face value. Study. Go study Chassidus. Chassidus Chabad of the Rabbeim, including the Rebbe. And you tell me what you come away with. I find that many chassidim, and not just chassidim, even litvish as you describe, even those that come from other schools of thought, I have to go through all the names now, find that they don't even necessarily become chabadniks in the so-called card-carrying members or in dress or so on, and customs. They remain who they are, but they've been influenced because the vision is a universal one. And in that sense, that becomes a nasiyah. It's not about who's the most popular and who's going to get elected to be the leader. This isn't a popularity contest. This isn't competition. This isn't a primary or an election of our president. This is who is actually offering that vision. And that's just the facts on the ground. You can study all the different paths and see who's offering a vision for life for all people, for 7.5 billion people, for 14.5 million Jews, Ken Yerbu, that will lead us into the Gula. And it's not about the person. We're not talking about charisma. We're not talking about personality. We're talking about well, the message of what that person is representing. So Moshe Rabbeinu represents the full picture and each Nasi represents the picture as it regards to that particular community without any contradiction. And again, the only way to really demonstrate this is by studying it. It's not by, but it's not by pictures or by any type of external superficial popularity show and contest who's the most handsome, who draws most people. It's about the message after all. Now, being someone who studied, and I am biased, I did grow up in the Chabad community, but I've studied other paths, I've studied much, and I see this, and no contradiction. That's why the Rebbe, as all the Rabbim, were insistent that when, whether it was the Moroccan Jews, the Moroccan children, 
or was a different chassidish in different chassidish communities, they should, God forbid, not change their customs, even if they're embracing chassidish in their lives. Their dress, their customs, their, their dress code, and all the different minhagim. Because every minig of Eid is, is Kaddish, is holy. And yet, what chassidish chabad adds to it, adds value, or gives the bigger picture. It's like you're studying one masech, you have uh, the asad the rav, and asad the shmuel. Halachi karav, halachi kishmuel. In whether it's Yisurim or Mominus, each one had their expertise. Halacha Barav, like in Yisurim, Halacha B'Shmuel, Mominus. Because that was their expertise. Think of like a doctor's a particular specialty. He's a specialist. And then there's a doctor that knows the entire picture. Sometimes you need the specialist, actually. But the entire picture is also necessary. And it doesn't take away because you want to have both. And Tayri, you see that. You have Shammai, you have Hillel, and then you have the Nasi Adar, where you have the Halacha. In other words, you have each particular path, which is very important, and then you have an all-encompassing picture, which actually says all the paths are important, and perhaps finds the unifying element between them all, the common denominator between them all. So it's not about eliminating diversity, it's respecting diversity, and also at the same time, respecting and recognizing the central hub that connects them all. And that's what Anasya Adar is. If you read chapter 2 in Tanya, he talks more about it, about the tzaddik of each generation. And this, again, does not take away from the G'daylim in each generation, in each community, in each school, in each yeshiva, and so on. I hope that did justice to this topic. And as I said, I refer you to a bunch of cross-referenced sources, which um, I will read after the next question, because the next question is somewhat connected and that goes like this. Dear Rabbi Jacobson, if you can kindly explain how Chabad Labavitch often uses verses and quotes from the Tanakh, Talmud, etc. in reference to the Rebbe, when in most cases these statements are directed to Hashem. I've seen different Nagurim that Chassidim sing and most recently, the theme of the Kinnus HaShluchim this year, Kigovra Aleinu Chazdeh, for example. That's the annual um, conference of Shluchim when they gather together in Kislev each year. And the theme was Kigovra Aleinu Chazdeh, that uh, your, your Chesed overwhelms us, overpowers us, which goes on God, and feels that Chesedim using it on the Reb. Doesn't that constitute in a, fo- in a, fo- a form of Aveda Zara? Isn't that a form of idolatry? So, let me refer you to a bunch of episodes where I talked about what is a Rebbe. Because that's really what it comes down to. What is the role of a Rebbe? Why do we need a Rebbe? Which is actually the challenge of Kairach in this week's Parsha that we're going to read. And the connection to Gimel Tamas, the challenge of a Rebbe. What does Kairach say? He approaches Amesh Rabbeinu with a challenge. The whole nation is holy. Everyone's a holy person. Created in a divine image. Has a divine mission. A sacred mission. They're all Kedeshim. So why did you lift yourself up Tisnasu as a Nosi? Tisnasu, this Nosi. That you are the leader. And what does Meisha do in his humble way? He doesn't say, I'm the leader, God chose me. He buries his face and turns to God and says, what should I say? And the ensuing chapter talks about the sign that God gave. Why did God have to give a sign? He sent Moshe Rabbein. He chose Moshe to go into Mitzrayim. He chose Moshe to split the part of the sea. 
to bring the Torah to the Eden, to lead them through the, through the Midbar, the wilderness. Suddenly here, it needs a new sign because Hashem wanted to show even on the terms of the challenge that you see. And each one brought their offering and it was demonstrated that Moshe and Aaron were chosen by God and not their own choice. Because leadership is not what we choose. It's not out of arrogance or our power or our connections or money. It's the man that's the most humble that God chooses. Kedach's great mistake was not that, of course, the entire nation is holy, but we are also subjective creatures. We also have our limitations. We also have our temptations. So you need a person not replacing us to be our true role model, a transparent channel to what God wants in this world of us. So his mistake was not that everybody is holy. Of course everybody is holy. So the challenge of what a Rebbe is is actually Kedach's challenge. And God forbid that you can equate it to something that's idolatry. Idolatry is replacing God. Idolatry is saying, I want a God on my terms. And here's the exact opposite. What a Moshe Rabbeinu is, what a Rebbe is, is a God on God's terms. But here's a transparent example, a living reflection of what God wants of us. So their only greatness is because God is great, not instead of God, and not self-worship. It's not a God that we make in our own image. God created us in His image. We don't create a God in our image. It's not a God made out of a golden calf, money, power, or whatever else we worship. But it's a God of something that's beyond us that we subject ourselves to and not draw, schlep God down on our terms. That's what a Rebbe does. And that's talking of the word nasi. Think about tisnasu. Nasi means to lift up. It means to, it's one that is lifted up, one that is above. Meshich that he's above the rest, meaning above their shoulders, a head and a shoulder, above everyone in the stature, in the spiritual stature. But there's another element of that. He lifts everybody up. He lifts everybody up because that's his job. It's not about you. What did God say to Moses when he was up on the mountain and he saw that the Jews were building a golden calf? He said, Go down from your from your greatness. Because I didn't give you greatness for you. I gave you greatness for them. It's not that you're greater than me. I gave you greatness in order to bring greatness to them. And that's very different. That's the, uh, the, uh, the, the diametric opposite of Aveda Zara in the fullest extreme. Aveda Zara is ultimate yeshis. It's me, what I want. A God on my terms. A God I can relate to, that I can see. And here is the opposite. It's teaching people bitl, the humility and selflessness necessary to connect to a cause and to a being that's greater than themselves. And that is God. So in the episodes that I talked about this, episodes 20 to throw 23, 41, 43, 87, 88, 96, 101, 107, 112, 114, 116, 121, 157, 170, 172, 175, as I mentioned, 206, 216 through 218. Just to show you how this question has come up in many different versions, many different ways of expressing it, the necessity of explaining an idea like this. But it's, after you understand it, you see not only is it an option, it's a necessity because we can be so overwhelmed as the Jews were in Egypt by our own, by the Aveda Kosha, by our hard work, by the material immersion that we're involved, by our own biases and prejudices, that it's critical to have a Rebbe that has the bird's eye view, that can lift us up, Nasi, lift us up to levels that we ourselves cannot reach. Not because we don't have the capacity, we have the soul, but to bring it alive, to reveal the soul and empower us and feel the confidence to achieve these highest levels. That's why it says when Mashiach comes, that will be, it will be, 
that no longer will one person teach another. Everybody will know me, my God, the essence of God. From young to old. So the question is asked, you, you just said everybody will not need a teacher. Everybody will know God. Why are you saying that they'll be small and large? Because that will not eliminate our differences. It'll just reveal that we're capable, each one in our own way, to reach the essence. But we'll still need something to inspire us. So we don't need a teacher to teach us because we'll have access to it, but each one will have access on our own dimension. Okay. That, by the way, that last letter, I forget to, forgot to write, read the last line. It said, thank you, a little confused friend of Chabad Lubavitch. Now, as far as using attributes, it's a good question. But remember, you have on Yaakov Avinu. That Yaakov is actually called Elikei Yisrael. And you have expressions where actually godliness, is that tzaddikim are actually associated with God himself, which is even more controversial than just using a verse of God's attributes. So it's already been explained that these are all examples of a transparent individual that when you look at that person, not you see God, you see godliness shining through that person. So therefore, you can't attribute that person to his own personality and ego because all he is is, tr- is reflecting the divine. So it's not instead of God forbid. It's not calling a person God. It's saying this person is nothing but an expression of godliness in this world. And that includes the attributes. You can say, as the, the Sefer Haboyer says, a very powerful statement, that chesed of Atzillus, the kindness of Atzillus, once Abraham was, was, was born, said, once you have Abraham walking on earth, he's a walking personification, a chesed reincarnate. He personifies, he embodies chesed. Why do you need me anymore? Because there are tzaddikim, they actually reflect the attributes of the divine, the kindness of the divine, the compassion of the divine, the awe of the divine, the strength, netzach, the, the endurance of the divine, the humility of the divine, the Hashem agdula. In other words, everything can become a reflection of the divine, and Asadik is actually a transparent channel. That's why you can attribute Chazdei, God's kindness, to the Sadik who's expressing that type of kindness. And that teaches us, all of us who have kindness, not just to do kindness, human kindness, but to actually do it as a channel of divine attributes. As he says in Tanya, all our attributes, all our faculties, nishtal shalom evolved from the divine attributes. So it makes sense that we should be able to align the two. And tzaddikim have that aligned in place. Like it says, the al Rebbe would fall asleep Friday afternoon because in the higher worlds, that was a time of spiritual slumber. Rabbi Hillel would go to sleep because he knew it about in the books. He didn't naturally happen to him. He had to deliberately do it. The al Rebbe naturally, because he was aligned, those that are aligned, sense the spiritual energies and actually embody them and express them in their daily personal lives. Like he says in Tanya, Ovis the Ovis or a Merkava. Merkava means a chariot that 24-7 their lives, every fiber of their beings express the divine, express the divine will in this world. Okay, another question. Mainaloshan. Actually, before my English, I'm sorry, I skipped one. Pan. Why is it called a pan? Why is it, why is it called a pan, Pidya Nefesh? Okay, a pan is an acronym for Pidya Nefesh. This is the custom when you go to the Ohel, you go to different Sadiqim's grave sites or holy sites, 
where they are, where they were laid to rest, you write a pan on top, pay nun, for pid nefesh, which literally means to redeem the soul. And then you write, there's a special nusach, different customs, but in Chabad we write, this is this, please, um, to awaken Rachimim Rabim, which is great compassions on me. You write your name and your mother's name, and then you continue writing everything, your requests and your for yourself and your family and for others. So the question is, why is it called Pidya Nefesh? Why are we assuming this, the soul is trapped that it needs the Rebbe to redeem it? The soul is Teherihi. The soul is pure, as we say every morning's prayer. Also, shouldn't it be called Birchas Nefesh? It should be called the blessing of a soul. Why is it the redemption of the soul? Since you're requesting a blessing from the Rebbe, so what does the redeeming your soul have to do with it? Why not call it a blessing? So at first I refer you to, epi- refer you to episodes 135, 168, 223, 224, and 227. Briefly, the concept originates from the time when Kolov went to the gravesite of the Mara Samach actually to pray, and that helped him save him from the plot of the other Miraglim. So the idea of going to a cave or oil to a tzaddikim goes back from the beginning of time. Now, what's the real purpose? Why do you go there? Because you're basically invoking the strength of our fathers, of our ancestors, our holy ones, to pray for us in heaven. Keva Rachel is on the road because Rachel prays, Mavaka, she cries and prays for her children. So the idea of Pidya Nefesh is because we are not able to do so alone. That's the whole point. You want to acknowledge, I need your strength because I'm trapped in my own little world. I'm trapped in my own myopic vision. I'm trapped in all my material fetters. So Pidya Nefesh is a very appropriate name. It's like saying, Help redeem my soul. Help free my soul. Now, of course, the prayer is to God, but you're asking the tzaddikim to intervene. And by when we connect to a tzaddik at an oil, which is called ishtatchus al-kivrit tzaddikim, as we'll speak about in a moment, that connection helps opens up doors. Again, not replacing who we are, helping reveal it. When a teacher or a mentor teaches you, they're not, they're not planting brains inside of you. You already have a brain. You have a mind. But the mind may not be informed or may have bad habits or may have wrong assumptions. A good teacher will open up your mind, will cultivate it, will refine it and help you grow until you begin to master the idea. The same thing here. Atzadik does not replace us. Atzadik, you, you are born with your faculties, with your mission. But because we can be sidetracked and because of our subjective interests, because of our blind spots, and all other things, the temptations we have. Yes, the trappings, we need a pigeon. Like we have pigeon haben. We have that concept. What's the pigeon? Because it is entrapped without that redemption. So a pigeon nefesh is actually going to a tzaddik at an oil, where he himself has already been redeemed. Because the tzaddik is no longer in his body. As much as that body is holy, there's still a certain redemption, as the Alter Rebbe writes in the Geras HaKedosh. That now the tzaddik's soul is everywhere, because it's not bound by the body, so the tzaddik's life, which was a spiritual life, ava, yira, namuna, love, awe, and faith, now is everywhere. So when a student of that Rebbe, or anyone, frankly, a disciple or anyone, and binds themselves, and they say, I want you to intervene for me, meaning to stand before God and help redeem my soul, that I too should be able to be freed from my fetters, that's exactly why we use that expression. The custom is also is to connect it with some giving of charity like we do for Yisker. So that's essentially the concept behind it. 
I would need to do more research to see where the first use of Pidyon Nefesh took place. I know it goes definitely back to the Baal Shem Tov, but there's, I'm sure, earlier than that, and I will get back to that. Or if anybody has information, please share it with me for the benefit of the public that I will share with them what you share with me. Okay. Mine Loshen. So together with Apan, we go to the Ohel of a tzaddik, of the Rebbe, especially connected to Gimel Tammuz. <clears throat> There's a booklet called Mine Loshen. Mine Loshen is essentially composed prayers that are said at, in front, at, the, uh, at the Ohel. Some of them are verses from the Psalms. Some of them are, were composed by the Rebbeim themselves. A nusach, an expression of how you so-called, so-called connect with and bond with your Rebbe at an oil. Now, this goes back, as I said, from the beginning of time. But we find that Rizal did it. We find it in many different uh, stories and medrashim and gemaras that talk about it. And we find it also in later generations how the Rabbeim each went to mishtatach literally means to prostrate themselves upon the, the kivrit tzaddikim. It could be physically, it can be spiritually. The Rebbe we saw witnessed hours and hours standing by the oil. It was so moving to see how he'd read notes and tear them up. It's basically invoking a higher power, the neshama of the tzaddik, the neshama of the Rebbe, to help resolve, to help find answers, to help bring blessings to all of us. That's the essential, the essential goal of it. Mine Loshan is a booklet that is part of the prayers. So the questioner is asking, Dear Rabbi Jacobson, thank you for taking the time to read and discuss this and for your weekly class. I have always had an uneasiness about saying certain parts of Mine Loshan. I know the Rabbeim said it and we follow their, that lead, but certain parts are just uncomfortable to say. Maybe if you can also give a brief primer on where it comes from and its history, it will help. Who are we to say, for example, Shalom Aleichem Adeneinu Mereinu, which means Shalom Aleichem. It's like an expression we say, peace upon you, Mereinu, talking to the Rebbe. Going down that whole first paragraph, this entire paragraph is just so strange to say, filled with very direct things about the Rabbeim. And near the end we say, and the merit of the, of, the, of the righteous that are buried in this place. And we say their name. That we actually say their name and the son of the name. It's just so uncomfortable. Please advise. So first of all, let me say this. I never knew that comfort or discomfort is what defines uh, our Jewish practices. There are many things that can initially be uncomfortable and we get used to it. Who decides what's comfortable, what's not comfortable? God does. There are a lot of things in Tehra that initially you'd say, I'd never do such a thing. I'm not going to equate, my Loshan, yes, is a Nusach, not from Chumash, and not from Tehra Shabbat Peh directly, but it's from the Tehra Shabbat Peh, from the Rabbeim that composed it. It's a Machtzedek. We have from Rabbi Hillel Parachar, the beauty of it, the Mitla Rebbe, and of course the Rebbe composing these lines. So they give us that strength. Just like there are many statements in Tehillim and others that you would never say on your own, but that's exactly the strength. And it is unique. I remember saying it the first time. I also found it quite interesting. I won't say uneasy. It was definitely uncomfortable. Because you speak very personally. You say, Shalom Aleichem to your Rebbe. Usually we don't say Shalom Aleichem. We didn't say that to the Rebbe when we walked into the Rebbe. There was much more respect and much more deference. But yet we say it here. This is the Kayach that we're given. Because in a way, after the, the Stalkas of a Tzaddik, there's a certain 
vulnerability that we have, and even the tzaddik, is now stripped of all those layers. So now the tzaddik we can speak to in a far more informal way, far more personal way. So if you think of it that way, it's not that complicated. It's not that uneasy. It's actually very fitting and beautiful. You're standing in front of the tzaddik's neshama. For some reason, God gave power where the neshama is laid to rest. Even though the neshama moves on to Gan Eden, to higher worlds, but this is the place where it is a sacred ground. And you see that from our enemies. The anti-Semites, the first thing they always attacked was cemeteries. Why? Let them to be at peace. They're not your threat anymore. Attacked men, women, and children. Because they recognized unconsciously or maybe consciously the power of our power was our memory, our connection to our previous generations, that we stand on their shoulders, that we are not strong without them. So in a way, destroying the past, erasing the past, was a way of destroying the present and the future. So we go to Anoyal, we have to remember that. That's in general about all neshamas, especially the neshama of a tzaddik, that it, it, it represents the eternity of a soul, but not just a soul, a soul whose whole life was dedicated to soul matters. So now that that soul is no longer bound by the body, you can stand and talk to it in ways that you can't talk anywhere else. It's a unique experience. It's not to be done every day. It's not to be taken for granted. But when you have that opportunity, and that's why we have the tzaddikim, that's why Yosef remained in Mitzrayim. Even though Yaakov was buried in Maris Machpeli, Yosef remained because it was a reminder that we're going to get out of this God-forsaken place. And you will take my atzomis Yosef, the bones of Yosef. And the same thing with Yosef of genera- our generation, as the Rebbe says, in a classic sikh of Ayichitov Shin Memches. The Rebbe says that the Friedrich Rebbe did not ask to be buried in Eretz Yisrael because he wanted to be with his, with his people, like Moshe Rabbeinu, with his people until Golis would end. It gives us strength and we can go there and pray and cry without any limits, without veils, and connect. So that's why the door was open. Speak to the Rebbe completely honestly. Speak as you're speaking face to face. Shalom Aleichem say. Say his name, say his father's name. Obviously with with kedusha and deference and, uh, and the respect, but you're speaking personally, and you want him to intervene personally, to go to God and say, I am representing, I want to say something good about this person. That's the Bainaloshan, and that's why these expressions are so personal in that way. Okay, now, we've covered a lot of Gimel Thomas matters. I want to talk about Chofchez Sivan briefly, and Kedach, and then do a follow-up, and then a chassidus question, and then the essays. So, as far as Chof Chesivin and Kedach, Kedach, I explained, is directly connected to Gimel Thomas. Shabbos this year will be Kedach, Gimel Thomas. 25 years ago, Gimel Thomas was Sunday. Mitzoy Shabbos was that fateful night, 25 years ago, and Sunday was Gimel Thomas. It was the beginning of, of his parashach Kedach, was that Shabbos, Erev Gimel Tammuz, leading into Parsha Chukas. And I've pointed this out, I think, a number of times. Kedach challenged what a Rebbe is. Gimel Tammuz challenges a Rebbe. And we respond unequivocally that the Rebbe lives through his teachings and his, and his directives through us. And then it goes right to Chukas, which is what? The purification from death. So the Parshas are, couldn't be more apropos to the theme. That you would think death is the end, and God says, no, you can purify. How? By combining water and fire. Rotzei and Shuv, as the Alter Rebbe explains in, um, in, in the Kutetera Chukas. It's not for this week's Parsha, but it's the next. So Kera Chukas, Chukas is the purification from that which is a split, teaching us that we can, we can repair the schism, the rift. 
And Kedach, the challenge of Kedach, was also rift. Vayikach Kedach v'yispalig, Kedach says, the Noyim Elamelech. He separated himself. Reconnecting, his kashos to is reconnecting to the divine connection, to the divine reflection that Moshe Rabbeinu represented in presenting the Torah of Hashem that shined, as I said, transparently and, and egolessly and seamlessly through Moshe Rabbeinu. Chav Ches Sivan, just a few days before Gimel Tamas, the year Tov Shinalef, which would mean 78 years ago is when the Rebbe arrived on these shores with the Rebbetzin to begin a new Tnufa, as it's written, as the Rebbe writes, a new stage of the development and expansion of what? Yafutsu Maynasech So everything we spoke about earlier, about the evolution over the years and generations of history, in a way, Tov Shinalef, Chav Chesivan, Friedrich Rebbe came to America, Tess Odersheni, the ninth day of Odersheni, Tavshin, the year before, 1940. When the Rebbe came, he, be- he, was st- the, he became the leader, the head of the organizations that the Friedrich Rebbe established, which would later be the platform upon which the Rebbe's Nesias would continue to grow. So there's a particular connection to that whole flow and the whole mission that we have now, post-Gimel Tammuz, to continue with that which began on Chav Ches Sivit. Again, these topics I've spoken about in episodes 121, 167, 216. Now, one question that was asked regarding this, the slander of Miriam versus the Meraglim. Hi, Rabbi Jacobson, can you explain the difference between the Miriam, between Miriam and Aaron's, Aaron's slander toward Moshe, which we read about, while we read a few chapters back, and the slander the Meraglim, the scouts, had towards Yisrael. Are they similar? And how does Kedach rebellion fit all into all this drama? What's the connection and how is it relevant to today's daughter? So I think based on the above, it becomes pretty clear. Slander is slander. They slandered Moshe Rabbeinu, the Meraglim slandered the Eretz Yisrael, and it's all connected. The Moshe of a generation, Eretz Yisrael was chosen by God, Eretz Yisrael was chosen by God, Torah is chosen by God. You slander one in a way you're slandering the other. So there's all that connection of challenging the God's will of how he wants his mission fulfilled and his mandate of how he wants his mission fulfilled in this world. There's a note from the Rebbe, an interesting note that I've seen, where somebody writes, people, someone writes to the Rebbe that some people are saying that not all notes, not all notes arrive to the Rebbe, that come to the secretaries, they don't all route to the Rebbe. It was the week of Parsha Shlach. So the Rebbe writes, Lahagid, tell the people, he circles the word those people in English, tell those people, and I'm translating, that instead of talking about me, because remember, talking against the secretariat, that they don't deliver all the letters, is like talking against, against, talking against me. Like the Meraglim spoke against Israel, they should go be checked their Tfilna Mezuzas, and from time to time say a capital Tilim, a, ch- a verse in Tilim, a chapter in Tilim. A direct equation between slandering Amosha Rabbeinu Arebbe and slandering Eretz Yisrael. So there's the connection. And of course, we talked about the repair, that that challenge is only meant to reveal a deeper connection, a deeper appreciation of Arebbe, of Eretz Yisrael. And that's the connection to it all. Okay. Because time is limited, I'm going to go straight to, I'll deal, I'll deal with any follow-ups next week. Um, the question, the Chassidus question of the week is this. Is there a connection between the different events in history that happened on Gimel Tammuz, the stopping of the sun, the Friedrich Rebbe's sentencing, sentencing commutation, and the Rebbe's passing? The answer is absolutely yes, and we have spoken about it, but briefly. 
So Gimel Tammuz, we know, is documented in, in, in Tanakh, in Yeshua, when it says, B'Shemesh B'Given Daim. Yeshua was fighting a war. In ready, they had entered Israel, they were fighting a war. And he was about to win the war, but the sun was going down. So he says, Shemesh B'Given Daim. He declared the Shemesh in Givoin should become silent. Why silent? Because it says in Sfarim, the commentaries explain, that the Shemesh, its orbit, is due to its singing Shira, praise to God. So by silencing the sun, the sun would stop. And it did stop. And because it stopped, the daylight remained and they were able to finish the war and, and, and win in victory. So what is the significance of Shemesh be given daim? It doesn't just say the sun should stop, the sun should remain silent. So we know the Moshe of a generation is compared to the sun of the generation. Kipnei Chama, Pnei Moshe, Kipnei Chama, Pnei Yeshua, Kipnei Levona. So the Moshe of each generation is like a sun. And when a, a tzaddik gets concealed, it's like the sun setting. Now remember, sun setting doesn't mean the sun disappears. The sun continues to shine in another part of the world, as is hinted to at the end of Egeres HaKedosh Simen Chavzayin. And we spoke about it a number of years ago, one of the Mitla Rebbe's Maimodim, where he elaborates that at length. Something recently discovered in the manuscripts of, in Russia. Because the sun continues to shine. It never, so a passing of a Rebbe is not a passing in the real right, the sense of the word that it stops, that it ends, rather. It continues to shine. We don't see it. The, sun, the, the stars, as the Alter Rebbe says, and that mimer elaborates, are reflections, are glimpses of that sun. As they're reflected in the students and the teachings and the disciples and all the people the Rebbe influenced, the Moshe influenced. So when a sun is, so when a sun is silenced, meaning a sun sounds like the Rebbe was silenced, God forbid, the stroke, and then sounds Gimel Tammuz, we should understand it's like the sun. Like the sun silencing for the moment. It's not permanent. It's shining, but not right here. So that's the first connection. Many years later, in Tuflish Pei Zayin, 1927, Friedrich Rebbe was arrested on Tezvov Sivan, <clears throat> and they wanted to actually sentence him to death, but then it was commuted to exile. When was it commuted? On Gimel Tammuz. So is Gimel Tammuz a positive day or a negative day? So the Rebbe explains... Initially, it was like a, it was relatively better, but still terrible, because it was being commuted to Kastrama, some godforsaken, some exile town in deep in Russia, but at least it wasn't death. Then, nine days later, it was Yudbeis Tamos, and that was completely, the, the sentence was completely um, eliminated, and he was freed to leave, go back home, and then ultimately leave Russia and come to America years later. So we see from that that Gimel Thomas became a schalta de Gula. At the time, it was better than what was, but it was still not good. Then Gimel Thomas became a stepping stone, first from death penalty to exile, then from exile to nothing. So it's a form of a schalta de Gula. So it's like a mixed day in a certain way. On one end, it has an element of redemption. On the other hand, it's not complete redemption. So in association with our Gimel Thomas, our Gimel Thomas, the story is not over. Yes, Gimel Tammuz is a sad day. We all would have preferred without it. We all would want to have the Rebbe, the sun shining and speaking and orbiting and doing whatever it has to do. However, for whatever mysterious reasons, that's not the case right now. We should know that it's not the end of the story. Like Gimel Tammuz was not the end, this is also not the end. And we will be Zechel, we will merit to be with the Rebbe, to be with his students, to be with the Rabbeim, and to finish the job that was given to us 
in bringing the Geula. Now, our custom is we do three essays. This is not necessarily connected to Gimel Tamas, but that's the custom, so I'm not going to stop that, just because this is a special Gimel Tamas edition. So let us do now the three essays. Essay number one. Navigating, now this is the essays of the winners, of the top essays, I should say, because the winners that actually won prizes we already reviewed. Now we're going down the list in the order that they were marked, the highest marks downward, which means that there's a very high marks, the top essays. So we do three essays each week. We post them at chassidahsupply.com. Subscribe to our weekly newsletter, and we will send you in your inbox the new essays. They're all fascinating and well worth reading. So the first essay today will be Navigating the Many Waters of Millennial Life. Yitzi Tuvel, age 31, Bandai, Australia. His job is an English teacher. So, Yitzi Tuvel writes the following. Today's professional and social environment can be profoundly challenging, especially for young people taking their first steps in a chaotic world. In this essay, we will examine the fundamental difficulties facing the modern millennial attempting to simultaneously master career, culture, and identity. The popular responses and their pitfalls will be discussed. The Hasidic response of the Lubavitcher Rebbe's Maimer Maim Rabim will be presented and examined. It will be argued that the Rebbe's solution is uniquely suited to the struggling millennial on each of the three factors, professional success, socio-cultural success, and personal integrity. And he goes on to do exactly that. Well done, well-structured, very, very relevant, and compares it to some other models out there with very good references, well-recommended. So that's essay number one. Essay number two is Battling the Butterflies by Gavriel Eagle, age 18, Baltimore, Maryland, student at Yeshiva's Beis David Shleimer. And um, Gavriel addresses, humans by nature, he writes, are social animals. We cherish relationships with other people and the feelings of love and acceptance generated for them above all else. In fact, love is a primary need and children who do not receive sufficient love and nurturance are at physical risk of death due to a syndrome called failure to thrive. And goes on to say that this essay offers a strategy to overcome social anxiety that addresses both the cause of shyness and the ultimate tool to gain social confidence. The solution is drawn from various Hasidic teachings concerning the inherent worth of every Jew and a letter of the Lubavitcher Rebbe to a woman struggling with social anxiety. Additionally, the concepts of Adam Humedini and Bittachan will be explained. Adam Humedini, a man, is a human being, is a social person. He goes on to talk about the cause of shyness, practical application, the ultimate tool, and um, Bittachan, trust, and how all that plays into a conclusion, why should we be social? Okay, and well annotated as well. And finally, essay number three is a Hebrew essay. The secret of supernal wisdom is ma. The letter is ma. So he says, the power to ask ma, to ask what? Hadas Yehudis Tsuri, age 42, Magan Michael Israel, her job lecture for female soldiers in a joint camp and a reporter in Eshet, Eshet magazine. Okay. So, she of course discusses exactly that. That, I will, that. I'm just translating loosely from the Hebrew. That in this essay, I will attempt to present an idea that's brought in Chassidus Chabad 
that talks about the sphere called Chachma, in the tree of spheres, in the spheres tree, and how Chassidus demands of us Koyachma, that Chachma, even though it's wisdom, it's a wisdom that leads us to beyond wisdom. The appreciation and understanding and comprehension to come to a clarity and a resonance in our lives to get out of any form of confusion. And that helps us get to a place, that ma, that wonder, that sense of awe is what helps us get to that place. The ability to ask what. And goes on to explain it in breakdown, in specific steps, the role of intelligence and how it leads us to greater places and a very practical bullet points of how to achieve that level. Another excellent essay, well recommended. Thank you for that. And with that, we conclude this week's episode 266 of My Life Chassidah Supplied. Kimmel Thomas is always a very difficult day to speak about. I try my best, at least complimenting other talks I've given on the topic, both in this series and in other places. You can go to MeaningfulLife.com and find a lot of material on this. ChassidahSupplied.com as well. And above all, let us all use this day, this mysterious day, this day when the, soul was, when the sun was silenced and stopped, stopped orbiting, a day that is hopefully will be soon, not hopefully, but surely, be, but hopefully we will soon see the fruition of the efforts that we, that we are motivated to do, a day that motivates us to be able to get out of our comfort zone to be able to achieve new unprecedented heights in fulfilling the mission that we were charged with, which is to help bring the Geula, that we should spread the Mayonis, the wellsprings outward, by teaching everyone, including ourselves, our children, our families, everyone we meet, to the farthest outskirts of the world, the relevance, the personal relevance, and the personal application, Chassidus applied of Chassidus, in our personal lives, that it becomes something we breathe something that we are that's indispensable in our lives. And may we be merit even before Gimel Tamas to the Gula Mitis Vashlema and reuniting with the Rebbe and with all our loved ones. Everyone have a very blessed week. Use this day, this powerful day well and make sure it has a perpetual effect in a good way on all on yourself and everyone else you come in contact with. We're here every Sunday, 8 to 9 p.m. This has been My Life Chassidah Supplied, episode 266.